So, what on earth are you doing? Trying to find work. Well, Ron, that's a, that's a good place to start. Trying to find work. Amen. Did your mother ever say that to you? Anybody ever have their mother or someone else saying, What on earth are you doing? But don't, don't, we'll share the stories over lunch, okay? But uh, I've had that happen to me. Um, I remember I just had a flashback to uh, chemistry lab when I was um, at, did a chemistry degree at McMaster University in Hamilton. And I was, I think, no, I wasn't even, typically in laboratories, if you're doing something dangerous, they have you work under a fume hood so you don't kill everyone else, kill yourself or kill everyone else around you. I can't even remember what I was doing, but it wasn't going as planned. And the lab assistant came up to me and he used a few other words, but he said basically, what on earth are you doing? Are you trying to kill us all? And all this green foamy stuff was coming out of the test. It was kind of cool, but quite toxic. Um, so, but you know, I've been blessed with three children, so I guess it wasn't that toxic. But anyway, it was, it, it was one of those moments where people say, what on earth are you doing? This morning, we're going to turn that sense around just slightly and think, what are you doing on earth? What are we doing here? What is this all about? And I hope you're still vibrating from worship today. I hope that that song I can only imagine is still Jesus, give us a godly earworm today so that that song sticks in our head. I can only imagine what it's going to be like to meet Jesus, like face to face, not just talk to him, which is great, and, and we do that a lot. Um, but to just see him there, right? He's in our face, right? And uh, some of us might dance. Maybe not. Maybe yes. Or some of us will bow that. Whatever. But we'll, we'll see him. And that's, that's brilliant. Okay. You don't have to hold up your hands to this. Oh, you can if you want. To this question. I'm going to ask you a deeply personal question. How many people have ever gone to the last chapter of a story to find out what happens. Anybody ever done that? Okay, all right, a couple of people. Amen. I'll see that man. Yeah. It, sometimes a story is so compelling, it's got you gripped, you're thinking, oh, what's going to happen? I went through something like that recently. Tim Fletcher, who uh, leads Finding Freedom here on uh, Friday nights, it's a recovery program, and um, it's really helpful for folks and because Tim tries to get underneath the causes of uh, addiction and, and dependencies and people get um, caught up in the problem, whatever their problem is, whatever is dominating them. But it's good to understand, to get underneath that and figure out what makes me this way? How have I gotten here? And Tim has done a really good teaching series. It's on DVD now on complex trauma, going back to... Um, things that we grew up in, conditions that basically made us feel stuck 
in reacting to situations. And it, it's quite a legitimate thing. It's very powerful. People are learning more and more about trauma, especially complex trauma. That doesn't mean, when I say complex, it doesn't mean confusing or multivariable. It just means it happened a lot. It wasn't just a one-time thing like a car accident or one-time incident, but it was an ongoing stuff where people, as a child, you just didn't feel safe. Well, I started going through these DVDs with a buddy of mine. We have similar backgrounds. And there's eight of them. And my friend Derek and I were going through these, kind of working our way through, working our way through. And we felt like, honestly, we were like going down, down, down. <laughs> and Tim doesn't pull any bones. He's a very straight-up communicator. And he says, you're probably going to feel worse at the end of this video. Oh, great. I just want to keep watching and feel worse about myself. And occasionally, Derek and I would say, let's just skip to number eight, because that gives us some hope, you know? And uh, I did that once or twice while well, I was in, you know, after DVD number five and feeling really kind of hopeless and, and just kind of really defined the, the stuff that you're living with and thinking, how can I ever get out of this bad cycle? Oh, I know. I'll skip ahead to number eight and just know that there's a little bit of hope at the end of the tunnel and then I'll go back and, and finish the series. And so I did Shamelessly, I skipped ahead to the front because I needed, to the back, sorry, because I needed to know there was a little bit of hope. That's what we're going to do this morning. We are going to take a peek at the end of the book. It's out of the book of Revelation, chapter 21, and it goes like this. Then, this is the Apostle John writing the story. God had given him an amazing vision of what's going to happen in the future. And right at the end, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. Then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God, out of heaven, like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Does that ring a bell? What were we talking about last week? Please, come on, work with me. What? Marriage, right. And the whole imagery of Christian marriage, which makes it so powerful, it's a very earthy, real, transcendent demonstration of how God feels about us, right? Unconditional love. And husbands, what's our job as husbands? What are we supposed to do with our wives? Oh, man. Love your wives as Christ loves the church. Talk about setting the bar high. I get really discouraged whenever I, you know, I have a friend who brings his wife coffee in bed. It's like, thanks, buddy. Just raise the bar for the rest of us. Well, Jesus is raised. I mean, I do that too sometimes. Occasionally. Okay, moving right along. Anyway, Jesus raises the bar for the rest of us as husbands saying, love your wife as Jesus loved the church because he died for the church. <coughs> wow. And the church, what does the church do to Jesus? The church says, okay, obey, love and respect and love's back, right? Anyway, so here's this image of this holy city coming down from God like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Let's keep going. I heard a loud shout from the throne. Angel, look. Saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain, for these things 
are gone forever. Whenever I read these verses, I have a flashback to when I was a youth pastor in Burlington, Ontario, and I had a kid, grade nine kid, um, killed crossing the street, going to school one day. Oliver was on, he was on top of the world. He'd just come back from a two-week vacation in Florida, just won a, a new, brand new bike and a newspaper circulation business uh, that he was working for, and he was crossing to school one day, really busy street like Portage, and there was a young girl, a neighbor girl, in front of him, and the traffic was coming from his left. She stepped out, saw a car coming, stepped back, tried to grab him, but missed him. And Oliver was, bang, dead, in, dead on impact. He was 14. It was devastating. I remember walking over to the school that day. I wasn't really invited. I just went in and sat down in the, and started talking to kids and we built a relationship with that school after that, but it was a horrible experience. And I had to lead my youth group through a funeral, grieving for one of their friends. Most of these kids had never been to a funeral before. When you're 14, have you been to many funerals? No. And we had to work through that process. And I remember at Oliver's funeral, reading these verses, God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. I can't wait for that. You ready for that? I can't wait for that. I mean, there's a time to weep with those who weep. That's biblical, right? But I can't wait for the end of the, this stuff that we have to live with as human beings, especially the stuff that comes from inside me. I can't wait to be God finishing off what he's trying to do in me, make me a new person. I can't wait for that. Let's continue. The one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. Then he said to me, this is to John, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it's finished. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. The Greek alphabet. To all who are thirsty, I give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Wow, so that's what the end of the book looks like. But right now, we are in what I call the messy middle. The messy middle. And life's complicated and confusing, and it's not neat and tidy. So what do we do in the meantime, what is God calling us to do? Well, first of all, He's inviting us, as we look at the end of the book, we see that God promises that He will be with us. Does that sound familiar, that word with? Do you remember these diagrams that we went over uh, I don't know, several months ago, maybe it was last year, we talked about life with God. Some people live life under God. And they, they feel like in order to get, God to, to get God to approve of them, they have to subject themselves to all kinds of laws and rules and religions. If I just follow all these laws, then I will get God to approve of me. Some people live life over God. They look at the Bible as a manual for life and think, if I just tick off these boxes, I will make God, I will force God's hand, and I will just make Him do what 
I want him to do. They treat God like a cosmic vending machine. Just do these things and he will, God will do what you want him to do. Other people live from God. They run from him. They don't want anything to do with his rules or ways to live life to say, forget you, God. I will do things my own way. The last category of people is very dangerous, especially among pastors and Christian leaders. We fall into the trap of living for God. Now, you would think this would sound good on paper, but sometimes people can get so caught up in the task, the, the, the mission of God, that they forget about God totally himself. If I spend all my time making the best sermon ever, just polishing everything. Imagine if I had 17 points that all started with the letter Q or something. It was just amazing and dazzling. I put in so much time into that. Didn't even talk, spend time with God. What a total waste of time that would be, right? It was like, be like doing something for someone that you love very much, but not even thinking about them. It's all about performance. So all these different postures toward God aren't helpful. We don't want to live life under God or over God or from God or working for God. None of those things really, they're not what we're made for. God has made us to live life with Him. Quick review of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1. God makes human beings so he can be with them. Okay? Man rebels, saying, no, God, I don't want to live with you. I'll do things on my own. And that's where we get these other four postures that aren't, that aren't helpful. God does something about it. He sends Jesus. What was the, the, the Greek, sorry, the Hebrew name for Jesus? O come, O come. Emmanuel, right. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Brilliant. Good review of uh, Christmas time, right? God with us. So Jesus came to be with us, so God with us, so we know what God is like and have a direct relationship with Him. None of this other jumping through religious hoops or anything like that. Now, we are in the messy middle right now because Jesus has come to be with us and creation is groaning and complaining and saying, oh, this sin is messing things up. The Pacific Ocean is full of garbage and we're running out of fish and we can't breathe the air and there's war everywhere and new diseases popping up like Zika that we have no answer for. And all these problems are overwhelming us and the planet Earth is groaning, waiting for God to put things right. So we're in the messy middle right now. That's where we're at. But at the end of the chapter says that God will do two things. He will be with us and He will make everything new. He's in the process of making us new right now. What did Tabitha say in her story? She said, I, I got found. It was a new me. It reminded me of our, of our son Michael when he went on a missions trip after uh, high school. And he, and he said, no, he felt like God talked to him while he was on this trip. And he said, God said to him, Micah, 
find me and you'll find you. We have that on a poster in our home. It's beautiful. Find me, find you. So God promises, and He is in the process of transforming us. And at the end of the story, He will transform the world, which is good news because we just celebrated Earth Day, right? And so if you're a Christian, you can really look forward to Earth Day. This is what we're talking about. God will make everything new. So, while we're in the messy middle, what's God's plan for us? Well, as we've been going through the book of Ephesians, we see that God's trying to put, build us into a community of grace and truth where we live out this stuff, where we live out this newness, we live out this new life, right? And just going over some of the sermon titles, I don't know if you remember that God has taken us from being messed up to making us masterpieces. I'm looking at the Winnipeg Art Gallery of God's masterpieces. And don't laugh. You're looking at one of his masterpieces too. I know, okay. But you are. We are. The Bible says that God is taking us from being messed up and making masterpieces out of us. And there are no outsiders and insiders anymore. Not in God's family. We're all God's family. In fact, we're going to prove this, we're going to demonstrate this in approximately less than half an hour. Because we're going to eat together. We're going to celebrate really good food from different parts of the world. And we're going to eat together. And there are no outsiders and insiders at Elam Chapel. There are just Elamites, I guess. That's what we could call ourselves. I don't know. There's just us. Because Jesus has broken down walls between uh, social classes and um, different ethnic groups and different personalities. He's broken down all those walls. And so we don't live as insiders and outsiders anymore. It's just us. God's children, right? And He's building us together into a healthy body where we work together for the common good. And we, we, we use, we offer the gifts that God has given us to help build this body, this group, not into an institution, not into an organization. I mean, it's good to be organized and have plans and stuff like that. But it's into a family. And the, and the illustration out of Ephesians is that it's a healthy body where everybody's got a part to play. And you need, some, you need everybody pulling together. So on the tables, uh, where we're going to eat, I'm going to give you a first opportunity for a sermon, for an application of the sermon. Right? There's a questionnaire. Questionnaires on those tables saying, hey, how do you feel that God has gifted you? What skills do you have? Now, it's not sign in blood. It's not sign in the dotted line. There's no commitment there. But just say, get you thinking, what can I offer? Some of us think, well, I don't bring lunch to the table. I didn't even bring lunch today. I'm not sure if I should come. What's the rule about eating at Elam? Come anyway, right? Please. Please come anyway, okay? Things will get stretched. Don't worry about that. Just come. And it's the same as offering things to God... Just bring what you got. Bring what you got. There was a little boy once who had a lunch, the equivalent of a first century McDonald's Happy Meal. 
and he brought it to one of Jesus' disciples who brought him to Jesus and said, we've got a big crowd of people here to, to feed. 5,000 men, a lot more women and children, a huge crowd, and all we've got is a happy meal. And Jesus says, okay, well, what have you got in your hand? What have you got? And all of a sudden, he stretches it and makes it work. So we might think, Lord, I don't have much to offer, but you have no idea how God can multiply it and just do amazing things with it. You may not think, well, I on a limited income, I don't have much money to contribute. God takes that and He stretches it. Or maybe you've got a more substantial income and you're saying, well, it's, it's mine. Sure, it's yours. And God says, how about that next breath you're going to take? I mean, I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm just saying, what we've got, time, talents, treasure, God says, invest it in something that's going to last. Invest it that's going to, in something that's going to last forever. That's a really shrewd investment. Because we know, looking at the end of the story, God will be with us, and God will make everything new. So while we're here, in the messy middle, let's find a way to be God's community of grace and truth so we can experience Him now and invite other people to the party. I love days like this at Elam Chapel because I get to invite people to lunch and we share. And it's just good to sit down and hang out. And it, it, it's just a, a, a beautiful experience for me anyway. And as you can tell from my physique, I, I'm not shy about eating. But, uh, but it's also the, the, the communication, hanging out and getting to know people. Because one of my pet peeves for the after church thing, there's about 200 of you and one of me. And I, it's a little overwhelming, but this gives us a chance to just sit down and talk and hang out. And it's a good thing. And just hear stories about what God is doing in our midst. Friends, I'm going to leave you with one more thought that John Botkin is going to expand more during lunch. It's going to be really good. As, we're, as God is putting us together into members of one body, we belong to Jesus and we belong to each other. Okay, We're not just here showing up for some kind of religious event. But God wants to put us together in a, into a body where we experience Him as we gather together. Okay? Here's, uh, I'm going to switch metaphors a little bit. Don't fall into the trap of being a consumer. There's a problem with the North American church. People shop around for churches. I understand that. I've been there. I've got the t-shirt. Remember moving to Winnipeg and for the first time, I was kind of, I didn't have to go to a particular church because I wasn't working as a pastor. On a Saturday night, we looked up in the phone book and looked at all the churches in Winnipeg and I immediately slammed it shut. It's like, ah, too much choice. And eventually God led us to a place where we landed. So that, that's hard. But there can be a mentality. There can be a, mental, a, a mentality where we show up at church and think, I like this, I like that, or we sit with a scorecard, or uh, how was the choir today, how was the worship, do I like what the pastor's wearing, did he tuck his shirt in or not? Now, I'm not, I've never had that happen with me, but I do know one of my colleagues was criticized, is it in or out today? It's like, oh, please, can we talk about something else? Like, maybe what God is saying to you. 
Um, so there can be that mentality sometimes. But what I want us to do today is, is pray about, Lord, how can I, you're, you're not calling me to be a consumer. You're calling me to be an owner, someone who invests in what you're doing here in this congregation, right? To buy in. And, and there's a difference between renting a property and owning a property, right? Naturally. So what I'm encouraging each of us to do today as, as people here at Elam, see or start seeing yourself as an owner. Invest. Hey, this is my church. This is our church. This is the way we live together. This is how we live together in a community of grace and truth. We try to bring out the best in each other. And God, in that process, God is making us new. God will be with us and He'll make everything new. We'll find out a little bit more about that uh, over lunch, but right now I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll uh, end in worship. Father, I want to thank you that you are with us. And at the end of the story, you, you promised there's that going to be that immediacy there. While we live life in the messy middle, we pray that you give us grace with each other, and give us, give us uh, power and courage to embrace the vision that you've got for us as a Christian family here. I thank you so much for uh, the diversity that we celebrate, the different personalities and ethnicities and just places in life. We thank you for that so much. Lord, we need your grace and truth to be operating among us so we can be who you've called us to be. So we commit all these things to you in Jesus' name.